0: I think the best place for us to have this conversation, start this conversation, tell me about Ward 3. Tell me about sports in Ward 3.
1: Well, Ward 3 is in north-central Calgary, and it is, uh, it's an amazing place to live. However, we have suffered from a lack of infrastructure investment over time, which is something that I'm hoping to fix, but as a result of that, we've got one institution within our ward that has been held up as sort of the champion for the role of sport and play and recreation in society, and that's Vivo. Yeah. So Vivo for Healthier Generations has become our true community hub. We've got a lot of um, sport and activity that is centered through that organization, I mean, obviously Obviously, our community associations in Hidden Valley and Northern Hills have also been doing a great job. But if you want to look at an organization that understands the role of sport and play in community building and giving people a sense of belonging, Vivo's the one organization in Calgary that I would say is, is untouched in its ability to really deliver that model in a community. Well,
0: there's so many that do. What makes them special in your eyes? What's, what's the significance of the difference?
1: I believe the significance is that Vivo has had no choice than to pick up the mantle mm. because we don't have a public high school in my ward. Uh, We don't have a lot of community gathering spaces. We're a little bit limited on that side. And a lot of our kids are bused out of our neighborhoods to go to school in other places. So they can't take advantage of after school programs in some cases because they come back to their neighborhood. And if you think about the fact that, you know, back in the good old days when Mm -hmm. we were younger, Mm -hmm. you played with the kids on the street because you went to school with them as well. So now you've got a bunch of different kids in the same neighborhood going to different schools who really don't get a chance to socialize in the neighborhood the way they used to. What I see yeah. is these kids walking over to Vivo, taking advantage of you know some of the classes that there are, just the free play that's available. The library is there. There's a physiotherapist. So if mom and dad are going to an appointment, the kids are hanging out. It just brings people together to do whatever means of socializing through any kind of interaction. It really brings them together.
0: Probably more important now than maybe even when we were young in the sense of how connected we are. It's easy to shut yourself off from the rest of the world physically. Do you see that? Do you see the efforts of parents to make sure that the kids are using the facilities?
1: Absolutely. I mean, One of the things that we've done particularly well as a society, almost to a degree that's gotten a bit out of hand, Mm -hmm. um, we believe in organized sport and all of us register our our little guys and girls into soccer programs when they're two or three years old. Uh, If you're going to make it in hockey, you better start when you're three or four. We've become very rigid in how we view sport, and it always seems to be being part of a team or a league. What Vivo has done is allowed kids and their parents and grandparents to say, maybe it doesn't need to be so structured. What's the role of unstructured play or activity in my life and it allows them to just be Mm -hmm. so they can come they can walk laps around the building they can drop into a class they can do uh, the climbing wall they can go to the pool we've gone back to those days of being active for the sake of activity Right. instead of being a structured sport.
0: Yeah, and that, to me, is the biggest challenge we face. Not even in your ward, but in in this country, is the free play, is just going out and being active, as opposed to, there's nothing wrong with registered sport. We'll talk about that. But that whole idea of just going and being is something that we we can't lose.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we talk about walkability scores. Mm. And uh, a truly great neighborhood or a truly great city has a high walkability score. And a lot of people will say, but what are you walking to? What are you walking for? And those walkability scores tend to be related to your ability to walk to the store or walk to a service and then walk back home conveniently. In neighborhoods like mine, where they were designed for a single purpose, that being residential those kinds of uses are hard to come by. So really, it's it's a lot of homes that you see. So your ability to walk becomes one where you want to get out and get to see people and interact with others in your right. neighborhood. It may not be to get that jug of milk from the store, but it is definitely to get out of your house and get some activity in your life.
0: See, I've, I have not heard of that before, that walkability score. Now, it sounds pretty straightforward on its surface. Is that a, an internal metric? Is that something that the community uses? Where, where, does, that, where does that come in? to play?
1: It is an actual thing. So a lot of urbanists have uh, come up with this idea. And now if you go to MLS listings, a lot of times it will have a walkability score of that neighborhood on there. Right. So we've become extremely focused on leading less sedentary lifestyles and very focused on uh, the role of urbanization in making our lives complete. So we do focus on getting people out of their vehicles and, and walking to different things.
0: Are we backfilling? Are we trying to come in after, you know, certain urbanization and creating- of, of areas and can come back to it and go, geez, we forgot. We need to add. You mentioned before, Vivo Center is essentially your ward's biggest. Rec- what else do you need beyond Vivo?
1: You know, we well, we need an expansion to Vivo because our community has grown so. Hmm. so much over the years. Um, and there's contemplation of other rec centers coming into the neighborhood, but it won't be for another one or two decades. So in that meantime, we are over capacity with Vivo, but there's other things that are needed as well. I mean, you need the, you need the shinny groups, you know, you need the fields where there's a pickup game of football or whatever it might be. You need to have those basketball courts where you just show up and play some three on three. Um, It's really that idea of informal, unstructured play and adding a little bit of risk back to play. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we are terrible at now is allowing our kids to engage in, let's call it safe risk. It's okay to climb a tree. You know, if you fall out, you're going to learn how to climb it better next time. It's okay to fall off your bike. It's okay to climb on some rocks. We've become such a litigious society mm-hmm. that organizations are afraid to let kids just hang out and play on structures or within their premises for fear of what might happen. And I think we've raised some kids that don't know how to take those risks. And I think the implication is later in life, in those rebel years, yep. they're taking all kinds of risks that they maybe shouldn't be. So this idea of play as a way to engage in risk-taking in a safe sort of space is important. And I think the more opportunity you have as you're walking through a neighborhood to go and do something at the community park that you might not otherwise engage in is going to be important into the future.
0: See, I'm fascinated by that because of how that intersects with something that I see more on the leadership side in sport, in all sports, and that is uh, the, the, the adversity to failure. That, that we don't embrace failure as a teaching tool. As a matter of fact, we try to protect from failure. And what you're talking about is, and we really don't want you to get hurt either. And I'm not sure we've done anybody any service in either side.
1: No, we haven't. You know, one of the biggest lessons that um, I learned early on mm. as a kid, and I remember this, is that I wasn't good at everything. Uh, the things I was good at, I was really good at. And I wanted to get even better at them. And it drove me to be better at them. And the things I wasn't good at, some of them I just never did again. Uh, But I tried them, and when I tried them, I learned what I loved, what I didn't. Some of the things that I was not good at, I worked really hard. I was not a natural basketball player, but I would show up early for practice, and I developed my skills, and I made the senior team. I enjoyed that ability to build my skill because I wasn't good when I started. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if somebody had said to me at that point, you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do, and my mediocrity carried me through life, I don't think I'd be who I am. At the same time, if we are now in a place where, you know, we don't want kids to experience failure, what are we training them for? Yeah. Because failure makes something out of you.
0: Mm-hmm. I, okay, you've taken me to a rabbit hole. So let's go down that rabbit hole. Where, where, where does sports fit in your life? When did you, has it always been part of it? What, what is the role of sport in your, in your life?
1: Sport is an interesting thing for me in my life because my parents moved from India to England and that's where I was born. Mm -hmm. And when I was four years old, we moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba. Mm -hmm. So, here's two people coming from a completely different way of life into the Canadian way of life, you know, with their little kid in tow. And so I grew up in a place where I knew what pond hockey was. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a place where, you know, my friends went for swim lessons on Sunday mornings. And so my parents learned about the role of sport in Canadian society through me and the friendships I had developed. And we lived in a couple of small towns. I lived in Nipua, Manitoba, where you know, yep. you did what the other kids did and you played soccer and you played baseball. And so I would join certain leagues and I would play sports. and in high school, you know, I decided that there was things I enjoyed, like playing basketball um, or playing badminton. So I played an active role. The thing was it was a little bit challenging at times because a young Indian girl mm-hmm. in a pair of shorts, is not something that the Indian culture necessarily takes upon favorably. Right. So I also learned at a young age that I had to negotiate with my parents. And so I would wear my track pants to the game and then play the (laughs) sport in a pair of shorts and immediately put my track pants back on. And then my parents began to appreciate the fact that you know modesty through culture was one thing, but the ability to play sport and be around other kids doing something very positive was also important. So I was part of a generation that really, you know, broke down a lot of cultural barriers. And what I see now with a lot of young girls in sport, especially a lot of young Muslim girls in sport, I've noticed that we've bent the rules around uniforms. And I think that's a good thing. If you're going to get kids active and participating, and the only hang up is the length of their pants, let's not worry about that. It's,
0: was, it in, was it a form of, of inclusion for you? Did you find that, that it allowed you to enter into, not enter in you were already in the community, but become, you know, part of a greater
1: thing? Yeah, absolutely. It, it allows you to be part of something that's bigger than just you. Right. And, you know, when you look different than everybody else, sometimes you want to belong to the same thing. And you want to be just like everybody else. Yeah. And sport definitely played a big role in that.
0: What about you for your parents, though? Because, you, you know, as a young person, you're pretty resilient, right? Yeah. Was it, was, did sport play a role for them at all in helping them acclimatize themselves
1: to Manitoba? Well, it's interesting because my mom was always into track and field when she was a little girl. And uh, my dad played, you know, different sports in India. Uh, Kabaddi is a sport that they played there. Yeah. And, you know, it's just starting to, to have its uh, emergence here mm-hmm. in Calgary. But they both understood that sport is a good thing. I don't know that they understood the time commitment necessarily. Now, fortunately, I grew up in places where I could walk to my practices yeah. for the most part. Yeah. But they also began to understand how there's a social network that's created amongst the parents who drive kids to games. And so my parents became part of that. So every fourth week, they were the parent on on call to drive us to the game and then bring us back home from from that game. And so they began to understand what organized sport meant in the various communities that we lived in. So they embraced it as well. I can't say that they understood everything about baseball. (laughs) You know, soccer, yeah. But uh, there were some sports that were new to them. But they came and watched me. They cheered me on, and it was it was important to me that they understood why it was important to me.
0: What, what did you guys? If you weren't, you know, in organized, we talked about the role of free play. What were you doing if you weren't, you know, at a, at a practice or at a game? What, what what kept you busy?
1: Oh my goodness, we used to have fundraisers for various uh, sports as well. So I remember in Nipua we did uh, a garbathon. So we we collected pledges to go and collect all the garbage in town so we spent a hot saturday collecting trash um one of the my favorite things that we did as a kid and this is going to sound weird we used to play tag and hide and go seek in the cemetery by my house and that's where the stone angel was so the actual stone angel was in that cemetery in nipua so that was our home base but we used to run around (laughs) that place and and terrorize the cemetery. So we did all kinds of free play type things.
0: What was your sport? What, what, what were you really good at? How far did you go?
1: I was pretty good at basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, I played it in high school. I played some pickup leagues afterwards. Mm. It's something I enjoy. haven't done it in a long time, but I really felt like I grasped the concepts and that I had the skill to do it well. Um, the other thing was I've always been a goalie in soccer, mm, okay. and I enjoy that. I'm not much of a distance runner, so uh, goalies, a, it's a Didn't g- mind being good a place for me. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> mind being a target. And you know what? Later on, yeah. when I was about 25, I started playing team handball in Winnipeg, Okay, and I love that. It was probably because of my group of friends, but what an amazing sport. I have
0: t- never understood. I, I was exposed to it in high school, and I never understood why it, it has not become bigger here or become what it is in Europe. Oh, I don't know either. It's a phenomenal sport. It really is. So much fun to play.
1: And those that play it love it. Yeah. And they'd never give it up. Yeah. Um,
0: Tell me about the soft skills that that sport provided. Here we are doing this interview in your office. You're the counselor for Ward Three, you're a leader, you're a politician. Did you take away leadership skills? Did you get those things from sport?
1: Absolutely. The biggest thing you learn is in sport, if you're playing any kind of a team sport, is that you've got other people that are relying on you, mm-hmm. and you need to rely on them. And if you're not communicating well with each other, you number one, you're not going to win. Uh, you're also not going to gel as a team. And a team divided is a team that will never accomplish what it could. And those lessons apply to any situation, any kind of a team that you're on. And council is a particularly important one. Mm. The thing about municipal council is that we don't have parties. So because you don't have a party-based system, you have, in one way, no one telling you what to do. But in another way, you don't have a common vision. Right. So we've got 15 people who have come together with one commonality, and that's that we want to do good for the city of Calgary and its residents. But how we get there and what our strengths are and what our approach is, is different for all of us. So we need to learn when to leave things in council, when to pursue them outside of council chambers with our colleagues to constructively do better next time. It's, it's tricky. And sport teaches you a lot about how to do that. Well,
0: one of the things that I think sport, when it's done right, teaches you to build consensus, that a team can build consensus. Do you agree with that? Consensus
1: is an interesting word, and I hear it used differently in different situations. And what it conjures up for me is everybody agrees to do things a certain way. And I'll tell you what doesn't work for me in that regard. Mm -hmm. I think not having consensus makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. Because if the dissenting opinions can be heard and they are brought to light, then a lot of times you see something that perhaps the broader group didn't appreciate. Right. And I think that interruption of consensus is very important because then you have common vision that may not be consensus based, but you've all agreed to move in that direction, having heard all of the sides.
0: Right. And which is interesting because we do an exercise when we work with kids and and we say, okay, we've just brought you together. Now, give me a team name. But everybody has to everybody has to agree. Now, you may not like it. But you got to build the consensus, right? And I think what I'm hearing is elements of that too. I mean, you have to be able to, I want this, I want that. But you come to a common goal, which a team then moves forward and adopts.
1: Exactly. And it teaches you a lot about, you know, what's important and what's not. What are you willing to let go of? And what will you absolutely dig in on? And it teaches you to communicate your position in a way that others listen and respect what you have to say and it teaches all of us to work together and make sure that we've acknowledged that there's difference but how are we going to get past it
0: so how in your day-to-day how often do you cross path and I sport is such an interesting word because you could think of sport and think of professional or to me it's all of it but how often in your what you do now for a living do you cross paths with sport
1: uh, all the time All the time. I will tell you, um, one of the most difficult things about being a member of council is the amount of sitting that we do. So I look for every opportunity to engage in some sort of physical activity just to keep, you know, my legs going and my mind going. And although sometimes we tend to think of sports as some sort of a specific thing, Mm. if I can call it, you know, physical activity and, you know, just that mindset of sport of, if I took two flights of stairs today, tomorrow I'm going to strive for three. Or, you know, if I made it over to council chambers in three minutes carrying my coffee and my laptop, tomorrow I'm going to push for two minutes. Sure. You know, it's just that sense of, you know, maybe I can do it better or faster. Right. So all of the time we experience it. And, you know, just if you look around, we've got all kinds of boxing gyms in our immediate vicinity. We've got uh, people who go and do yoga at lunchtime. We've got a gym in the basement Um People are doing all kinds of different things in this building all the time. There's runners groups that are formed quite informally. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of exposure to activity in sport if you just embrace it.
0: What about formally, though? What about in your work? Because you said something, though, the first time we met, you, you really impressed upon me something that I never thought of, and that was we were talking about a road, and you said that the space that could be used in the road, and you equated that to sport. Uh, how much of that do you run across in your day-to-day work?
1: You know, there's there's opportunities to do things differently that we forget about. So Mm. up in my ward, we've got what's called a right-of-way in the middle of our Centre Street or Harvest Hills Boulevard. And that right-of-way is there to allow for the train to come through when we get the green line up north. But right now, it's this giant boulevard. So my thought is, let's maybe try to find a way to create the bus rapid transit route down that right-of-way. So if you could put the buses along that route and you mm-hmm. could put a bike lane beside it and mm-hmm. a walking path beside it, we are activating multiple modes of transportation. Right. And so those are opportunities that I see in my head sometimes. Uh, and then I try to get them out onto paper and, and speak with my colleagues in administration to make them happen. But I think if we look at the way we live our lives from the perspective of how could I incorporate a little bit more activity, it just makes us do more and it makes us do it better
0: what comes do you have a feeling or a, even some experience of what comes first for instance you know i i once saw somebody design a park and they didn't put the paths in they just let people go and walk saw where they walked then they built the paths if you did that would you encourage people to ride their bikes more or are people in your ward riding their bikes which gives you the idea maybe we should do this
1: I believe it's a little bit of both. We've got an amazing project going right on, on right now called Creating Coventry, and it's a woman in the community who's very, very engaged, and she has worked with the Community Association and with Vivo to talk about how we would repurpose 14 little park sites in that one community of Coventry. And she did it because what happens over time is communities are advised by the city, this park is falling into disrepair and we need to do something about it. And so then communities have to rally together to figure out what to do. There's a little bit of funding that comes from the city, but Mm -hmm. then they have to fundraise. So instead of doing 14 one-off projects, she created this vision of how are these little locations connected in the community what can we do to make them more connected and her her ultimate goal is to say today i'm going to go to spot number one tomorrow i go may go to spot number two but i may go to spot number 13 and here's how i get there through the informal pathways i didn't know existed so to your point about do we put in a sidewalk or do we wait to see where people are going yeah it's a little bit of both sometimes you have to be intuitive but then you've also got to look back and reflect on how people have made it their own. And it generally is not the way we thought it would be.
0: How do you, as a, as a counselor, incubate an idea like that? How do you support it? How, what are the tools that are there to support something like that?
1: I've been incredibly lucky that we've got good people in the community who have lived there for a long time and really care about that community. I've got good organizations there as well. My role is to amplify their voices. Okay. And so that's where I use social media as much as possible. I don't like getting into arguments on social media. I think that's a giant waste of everyone's time. But I wholeheartedly believe in speaking up for people that are doing good things. And if I've got enough followers that will retweet things out to their followers and we find out about a great project, like a mural painting project that's going on this summer Mm -hmm. in Coventry, that's been picked up by so many different groups in the city because it's a citywide call for volunteers. Right. That's my job. My job is to promote the amazing work that's being done and to work with administration to provide the resources needed to keep that work on track.
0: So let's draw back a little bit and take a look at the city as a whole. Your thoughts on on Calgary as a sports city. What do you see here?
1: One of the biggest things I see is that with TV and the internet, sport has become more accessible to so many people. And, you know, those mediums have become the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. So if you can't afford a ticket to a game, you can probably watch it somewhere. And the thing I love about Calgary is when the Flames were on their run in 2004, it was epic. Everybody was spilling out onto the streets. That's how the Red Mile came about. If you went to your local pub, everyone was watching the game. Everyone was talking about their team. And we do that when, uh, you know, the stamps are doing well. Mm-hmm. And we've embraced lacrosse now. We're, we're a city that's really good at understanding the role that sport can play right. in bringing us together and uniting us. We also have some really cool things that go on. We had, uh, you know, Nitro Circus came to town last year. And that was crazy. Yep. So the stunts that those guys do are <laughs> incredible, but there is a huge crowd out for that. I think we're the kind of city that understands that sport can be many things to many people, and we're just going to try them all out. Yeah. And when we find a fit that we like, we go and, and do it.
0: It's it's an interesting—I mean, there's so many different topics that we could get into, and I don't—we'll uh, let the, the stories of the day play themselves out, because I'm more curious about your observation of— you know what we can what we have been and what we can be i mean is there more to add is there is there more of sport that we can bring to what to help whatever cause might be in calgary
1: i'm going to give you an example of of how sport united a bunch of people that otherwise may not have seen hockey as a common theme Mm. so if you look at the hockey night in canada broadcast that's done in punjabi yep that's huge yep Because we've got a lot of young men and women from, you know, Punjabi background that are playing hockey now and watching it. But the generations before them, their parents and their grandparents didn't necessarily understand it or, you know, get what the big deal was. Mm -hmm. But when you have a grandparent sitting with a grandkid listening to that Punjabi broadcast, it is, it's heartwarming. And now you've brought generations together and you've created this informal settlement opportunity. So I think the role that sport can play is so unquantifiable that we sometimes diminish it. But it's so important. It's the non-tangible nature of sport that makes you feel something and brings communities together that I think is really important. What
0: about the economic component of it? Can it be a driver? Can it be significant in terms of driving an economy in a city like Calgary?
1: You know, anything can be a strong economic driver done right. Right. And so, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about hosting events or creating Mm -hmm. an entertainment district that has a component of sport. Same time, we've talked about arts and culture and what's the role. Any city that has a thriving entertainment and arts and culture and sports opportunity going on within it will draw people to it. And I'm not just talking about tourists. I'm talking about people that live here. As soon as you have that pulse or that heart, that feeling that you belong to something, that city will be successful. So sometimes we try to measure the economic results directly Mm -hmm. from something. And that's a mistake. You've got to look at what it creates and what it spurs in people and what it makes them feel to understand the role.
0: You brought up arts and culture. I I find there's a little bit of a debate in this city that it seems like we're either on one side or the other, that we can't have both. Do you feel that tug-of-war?
1: You know what? We tend to be extremely binary or dichotomous in our thinking as human beings. It's either black or it's white. We don't like to talk about the gray. You either (laughs) like it or you don't. Mm -hmm. There's no in-between. Um, somebody that's not convinced of something, we call them fence-sitters, and that's, you know, seen to be a dirty word. And, you know, we don't like centrists in our politics. You're either a conservative or you're a liberal. You can't be middle of the road. And because we have this tendency to do that and label things on one extreme or another, we have a very hard time understanding things like arts, culture, and sport. If you boil it down to the very basics, there's not one of us who doesn't appreciate some version of art Mm. or the arts. Mm -hmm. And if you live in a home that has any type of color or anything hanging from a wall that warms your heart when you walk by it, you appreciate art. You appreciate the arts. If you've got kids that are involved in dance, you appreciate the arts. And we sometimes boil it down to numbers and we say we're spending too much on that. And that's all we focus on. We forget about what it means, and we forget about what it means to the history of a city and what it means to the narrative of the people who created this city. It is important to tell that story. It's important to talk about how we've evolved. It's important to talk about our vision, and sometimes that's best done through things that are not talked about in budgets. It's about going to the theater and seeing a production. It's about going to a football game. It's about being involved in something that's bigger than you
0: hard to have those conversations, isn't it?
1: It's very difficult to have those conversations because they always get tied back to tax dollars.
0: Right, right. And it's hard to, ta- you can't tax vision.
1: <laughs> you cannot tax vision and you right. can't tax how you feel about something.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, it's, uh, what's on your wish list. I mean, I'm not holding you anything, but it's, if I gave you a, a, a blank statement, I would like to see this in my city. Is there, is there a wish list for you?
1: My biggest wish list is that we become better communicators. So I would love for the city of Calgary to very clearly explain to residents when we collect property tax, Hmm. this is how we collect it. This is where it goes. And this is what you get as a result. I believe very strongly that if we don't talk about the services that we provide through taxation, we are missing the mark. If the headline is only ever X percent rate increase or decrease, we are not talking about all of the amazing services that are provided by the city. And I think that's important. We need to change the narrative.
0: It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, throughout this, it's funny, you cannot talk about sport. You can't talk about athletics. You can't talk about anything without technology now. And part of that is what you talked about using social media in a positive way. But it's so easy to just say "Ah, I don't like that, so I'm against it, and I'm going to strike out against it. That that role of conversation, and it comes back to sport. That's why I asked you the question about being a uh, being on a team and then coming to council. I can imagine that you see a lot of people in the day, but I also think you're sharp enough that you're picking up who played and who didn't. Right? Yep. You can tell. You can tell. (laughs) You can tell. You know, and and we need to get to that to your point. We need to get to a conversation. We need to get to a place where we can have frank and open conversations about all of it because it benefits everybody.
1: It does, and and I find that sometimes what we like to do is um, have the conversations in closed rooms mm. where we can hash out what makes us uncomfortable or ask the questions that we feel make us, you know, sound uninformed. Um, and then when we go into a public setting, we feel more comfortable with the responses we're going to get. Mm. I think we need to get better at being, you know, let's be kids again and be daring enough to ask a question that may get us an uncomfortable answer, but then let's unpack it and talk about it. Mm. I have to say one of the best conversations in council meetings that I've experienced in my short time here is when we had the conversation about reaffirmation to the Olympic bid. Mm-hmm. That was the day we actually talked about our fears, our expectations, our hopes, and our interests. And until we had that conversation very openly on the floor of council, I don't think the people of Calgary got to hear all of the dynamics that are at play.
0: Well, so without, I hope
1: we do that more.
0: Without naming names, can you tell us how you got there? How, how come that day? Why, why then? What was, what was the impetus for that particular moment, do you think?
1: Sometimes things come to a head and it makes you sit back and say, I don't actually know why that person is so gung ho about this, or Mm. I don't know why that person is so angry about this. So I believe we just came to a point where we said, let's talk about it. Let's have it out. Let's make sure we understand each other's perspective. And that was a very grown up thing for this council to do. Game changer? I believe it was a game changer. Uh, It was for me, absolutely. Because when the vote went down and we agreed to keep on the path of waiting for the host city contract, pursuing the bid co, I was one of the people that did not vote in favor of it at that time. But to your point about consensus and collaboration, Mm -hmm. the majority of council voted in favor. Therefore, I am moving in that direction because it was the desire of council. You won't hear me complaining about not getting my way. That's not how this works. Right. The majority voted we're moving forward. It's my job now to ensure that any dissenting opinions I have are expressed quite clearly in a productive manner that moves us towards something that's healthier and better.
0: What I would like to do is take that last answer and let kids listen to it. Because that to me is then then whoever your coaches were and whatever your sports experience was, it worked.
1: I had amazing that, right? coaches.
0: That, that to me is what We're supposed to give our kids. That's right. That's what sport's supposed to be. It's supposed to get you to... I know we're all caught up in, oh, we'll make them a football player, an NHL player. If they do, that's divine intervention. We just got to make good kids. We got to make good people.
1: Absolutely. And they
0: hear that answer. It gives me hope that that good coaching can get people places. Well,
1: And we've got so many great coaches and great leaders and and great spokespeople out there that if the kids are paying attention to them, they'll see what leadership truly means.
0: All right. I, I've taken up enough of your time. I'm going to ask you two more. Okay. Where, where do you sit on eSports? Is there room for eSports in Calgary?
1: There's absolutely room for eSports. I mean, one of the things that I'll, I'll give you an example of, and it's, it, it's not a sport. It's it's more of a game, but Dungeons & Dragons. Sure. Okay? Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. When people think about Dungeons & Dragons back in the day, back in the 80s, it was, you know four dorky guys getting together and (laughs) playing Playing a little bit of D&D. And then we saw the rise of video games and people thought what would happen is there would be, you know, these four dorky guys would not get together anymore. They would just, you know, be online. What we found is this resurgence of this desire for cosplay or, you know, getting together to play a game. Settlers of Catan is a big one. You will see major venues in Las Vegas completely booked with gamers These are people that want to interact with each other. I do not buy into this argument that with the internet age, we have less of a desire to connect with each other. We still want to get out of the house and connect with each other. We want to have that live interaction. So there's a role for e-games, e-play, e-sport, because ultimately at some point it does drive people to get out and interact with each other in person.
0: All right. Last question for you. Do I have to ask you about your avatar on Twitter?
1: That I'm a Jets fan? Come on. Two teams, right? Two teams. I love the Flames. I love the Jets. I'm just so excited they're in the playoffs. I used to work for the Jets organization when I was young.
0: The original one or this The original one.
1: No. Yes. So when Timo Solani was there and Chris King and Ty Domi came over, I was working in their retail store. So uh, it was a great opportunity to get to know the players and get to know more about hockey. And I was a big fan then. They left the city when I left the city. Okay. And now that they're back and my friends who are still in Winnipeg um, tell me how exciting it is again to go to Whiteouts. I'm just, I'm so happy to see them in the playoffs. I had to change my avatar to have my Jets took on. <laughs> no, but I mean, but you can speak to
0: it. I mean, the importance of, of sport in the city, right? You know what Winnipeg was like before and afterwards. And you mentioned 2004. I'm watching the White That reminds me of 2004. People coming together and just having fun. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome, I think.
1: Absolutely. And this is where, you know what, sometimes our conversation around keeping a team in the city is really twofold. One is about keeping that team in the city to keep that, uh, that spirit of that particular, mm-hmm. that fan opportunity alive and, and keeping that sport in the city. But the other part of it has to do with the physical location. And those two things are not always connected. And I think sometimes when we get into debates about Mm. entertainment districts and arenas, we've got to decouple those two things. There's no one that can dictate when the time is right for a city to revisit an entertainment district in a way that the city administration and council can have that discussion because they need to act in the best interest of residents. And if creating such a district is in the best interest of revenue generation, then it should be done. But it is but one piece of that pie to talk about an arena. This is really about creating a district and creating a great city. It cannot be a standalone discussion.
0: Yeah. I really meant to ask you about the toque, but I appreciate the answer, too. Oh, Fieldhouse. We need a Fieldhouse. We need a Fieldhouse. Okay, we, we've agreed on that. We don't even have to spend time on that, right? Totally, Fieldhouse. We, we need a Fieldhouse. Thank you.
1: Thank you.